Good morning, Twitter. Today is a very special day. It is our birthday. Well, it's not our birthday. Okay, true. It's true, AM true, to true. DM's birthday. We're a whole ass two years old. Oh, and that is so old for us. Well, you guys stick right there, and we will see you on the timeline as we pop our birthday balloons. If balloons. I can hit them. Balloons. Balloons. Uh, they're balloons, so aggressive. Balloons. Now they're gone. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg, he's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM to DM Birthday Edition. <laughs> yeah, or Impeachment Edition, <laughs> depending on what you're celebrating. Ooh, tea. Yeah. And we will be breaking down all the impeachment news in a minute with Representative Al Green. But first, Alex, I have to ask you, where were you when this show first dropped? Okay, so uh, I was actually in Thailand two years ago when okay. the show made its debut. I had joined aim to dm which was just uh, like to help out, to get mm -hmm. things, you know, moving, and um, then ended up staying for quite some time. And now you're here. So, and now Hosting. we're here. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it is wild. Where were you? Oh, God, where was I? I was... At home. I'm kidding. I was not at home. I was at work when I worked at Grindr, the app. And uh, I was in my <laughs> office. Uh, I think I was already in my office by then early, and I was watching Saeed and Isaac. Well, you would have been real early. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was very early. I used to go in early. No, I was at the gym. That's a lie. I was at the gym, okay, watching, the gym from watching from the gym. So I remember watching Saeed and Isaac, who are both you know old friends of mine, and uh, just being so excited for everything. Yeah. It was such a big day for them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's still it's still so exciting, and it feels really awesome to get to be up here now, yes. you yeah. know, on the show. Celebrating so. them, celebrating us, and you yes. know, it's really great yes. show. But speaking of celebrations, here's a tweet from Alex Berg. Uh, overheard, over, overheard in the merch line at the Lizzo show, you can't wear that bitch to school, a mom to a teenage daughter. <laughs> so last night I went to the Lizzo show at Radio City Music Hall, and this moment was so precious. Yeah, I saw this on your Twitter this so morning. Cute. It was like, what? Because it also was at like 11 o'clock at night. I know. <laughs> I was like, she's not asleep yet. No, I mean... Like, I'm trying to get through it today. A little bit tired, completely worth it. I mean, it was just such mm -hmm. an amazing show. Uh, everything I wanted and more. Like, it, the Lizzo was fantastic. The dancers were great. Um, she also mentioned impeachment, except at first she called it, like, beachment or something. Beachment. And then she was like, That's I'm going to show you impeachment. She turned around and, like, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah, Lizzo so. is leading the way for impeachment. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of things I love, because we're just moving all right along here. I mean, we are. Uh, before we move on to more serious stuff today, I have to, because Alex shared something she loved today, I have to share some urgent news with you all that I love, and it's from Kara Swisher. It's just fried chicken on donuts. What did Aristotle write about the sum being greater than its parts? Well, he might have dug the sandwich too. KFC's new fried chicken and donut sandwich is terrifying and delicious. Terrifying and delicious, just like the current uh, news cycle. It's like, <laughs> that is some tea right there. But you know, I am a big advocate of the current Wait, chicken you, wars. I'm sorry, you don't say you're you're a big advocate. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, really, I hadn't noticed. Well, I'm we really, talk about it so And much. I just want to introduce you all to this delicious sandwich that I have yet to try. I will be trying because I believe it is the dark horse in this fried chicken war where you're seeing between Popeyes, Chick-fil-A, and now KFC. Mark my words, this better be the last time we talk about these it great chicken wars is, on the show. It is, but it's not the last time I want to hear from you all on the things that you love and you don't tell people about. So let's take it to the timeline. What's a dish that you secretly stand? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Here's a tweet from Tom Namico. No words needed. Hot girl summer is out. Impeachment fever fall is in. Woo, woo, woo. And here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has announced an impeachment investigation into Trump amid reports he withheld aid money from Ukraine. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News politics editor Matt Berman. 
For all of the Mueller thirst podcasts and votive candles, in the end, it was the president of Ukraine. Matt joins us now to discuss all things impeachment related. Good morning. Hello, happy birthday. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, let's just get into it. BuzzFeed News has seen the transcript of Trump's phone call. What do we know so far? So, honestly, it's a lot more than I was personally expecting to see on this transcript. I think uh, we it's a short conversation that, that we have seen, at least. And you see Trump uh, saying that it would be great if the president of Ukraine had his government uh, look into some unsubstantiated allegations about uh, Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden. It's it's uh, it's new, and uh, we're still kind of trying to figure out exactly what this is going to wind up meaning, and kind of looking into the language that Trump uses. But uh, it seems seems like a lot. It's a big way to start the day. And do we know if Nancy Pelosi had under, known this information before she announced impeachment? Because people were really shocked that she moved so quickly without them being released to the public. Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly what she would have known. I'm, I would be surprised if she had seen the transcript necessarily, from my understanding at least. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was, uh, you know, talking with different people who uh, could be, you know, helping to, to kind of nudge her towards this. Okay, so on that front, um, you said it has moved very quickly, or at least it feels that way since we first uh, found out about the call. Can you kind of walk us through what happened yesterday? Um, what jumped out to you about uh, Pelosi's remarks? So uh, what jumped out to me, honestly, is she said the word impeachment a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, it's really incredible to step back and just look at yesterday as basically 50 days packed into one where you had— you know, what started with a trickle of uh, Democrats in the House of Representatives who had won in Republican-leading districts last year, starting to say, you know, well, I think maybe we should actually proceed with an impeachment inquiry, uh, to very quickly more and more people. Then you had Representative John Lewis, who is a huge force on, uh, on, on the Hill and among Democrats, coming out in favor of it which was just a real signal that Pelosi was going to eventually come and say the same thing. So it's it, it, it started off as like a trickle over the last few days as the Ukraine revelations started coming out through reporting and through some of what Trump was actually saying about them to just like blowing out really uh, by, by uh, last evening. Hmm. So, you know, the transcripts we're just now learning about this morning, but how were the Republicans reacting last night and how do you expect them to react this morning as the news breaks? So there's... A little bit of a split between Republicans in the House and Republicans in the Senate on this, where Republicans in the Senate, to some degree at least, seem a little bit uh, more willing to, to wait and kind of hear out both what was in this transcript that we're seeing today and also people still want to see what a whistleblower in the intelligence community uh, was concerned about, which we believe uh, involves the transcript, but also can involve some other things around the transcript. So there's some some Republicans are kind of waiting on that, but then you also see in the House where uh, Trump has like very 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 tight allies and very loyal allies, uh, just coming out and saying you know this is going to be you know, a mess for Democrats and seeing a lot of uh, campaigning both both with, with the Republican National Committee and with Trump's reelection committee. Uh, to just, you know, start raising money off this and fueling a big defense. Mm. On that note, uh, how was Trump and the White House reacting? Yeah, so a, a, a little surprisingly subdued so far. He, like, had a series of tweets yesterday that, that really just culminated in the all-caps presidential harassment, which, like, seen it before. Witch hunt, seen it before. Like, this is kind of uh, uh, some uh, oldies at this point. But um, I, I don't necessarily expect that to last. I think... Uh, 
Trump is likely to to go really, really hard at this, um, and something that he probably thinks and his campaign probably thinks will help fire up his voters. Mm. And what have we learned from past impeachment proceedings that could kind of shed light into what we can expect? I know that Trump is not a typical president, but is there any evidence from the previous ones that we can look out for now? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question and something that I think a lot of people are, are looking back at, particularly what happened in 1998 with Bill Clinton when he was, uh, when, when he was impeached in the House. And it, it's just hard to find those parallels in part because there, there are so few instances of Congress moving seriously forward with impeachment against a president. And for Bill Clinton, a lot of people point to the fact that Republicans who moved to impeach him lost seats uh, in the midterms that year, like a month after the impeachment uh, began. And the thing about that parallel and, and like what, what about it isn't, shouldn't necessarily, necessarily be comfortable for Republicans now is that Bill Clinton started that with approval ratings in like the mid-60s and Trump right now is in the high 30s or low 40s. So there's a, just a huge difference in how much support uh, president's coming in with uh, versus where, where Trump is right now. So kind of uh, on that topic, um, if Senate Republicans are unlikely actually to pursue an impeachment trial, um, what is the play here for Democrats? Like, what is Pelosi reading in terms of the mood of voters to do this? Yeah, it's a really uh, interesting moment for her because, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people saying, well, you know, Twitter doesn't vote or Twitter isn't everything. You, The Nancy Pelosi and House Democrats are relying too much on, like, how much, how engaged Twitter seems to be and some people on the left on Twitter. But as much as uh, Republicans may think that this will fire up their voters, uh, a lot of voters on the left and you know the engaged voters online were starting to get frustrated with Nancy Pelosi and with House Democrats. And moving forward with impeachment like this could help to kind of consolidate that, that base a little bit more. Um, but it's so the, the, there's some political calculus maybe behind that. And I think it's it's interesting that you see like. Democrats who might be vulnerable in next year's elections in places like Texas, uh, who yesterday started moving forward with uh, supporting this move. So some, something seems to be happening. I don't know if there's polling that's like private that we haven't necessarily seen yet, but uh, I, they seem to at least think that there's um, some sort of moral imperative uh, for them to go about doing this right now. So, Matt, what is on President Trump's schedule today? I know it's going to be another chaotic day of, you know, breaking news and opinions, so I have to think that uh, he should be present for some of it, right? Uh, he will be holding, or it was at least due to be holding, a press conference this afternoon. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, also thinking of next steps, um, I know that Pelosi said that uh, she'll now direct six different House committees to investigate Trump, quote, under the umbrella of impeachment inquiry. So what does the like the work of starting this uh, thing look like? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what are these committees going to be up to today and, and in coming weeks, I guess? Uh, it's weird because we don't really know. Like, huh. there's there's some level of, like— just continuing business as usual, but under the name of an impeachment inquiry, where there are a lot of committees that were already pursuing different investigations against Trump over everything from how his business operates to going back to Mueller and, and the Russia investigation. But now that this is under this Im impeachment umbrella, as Pelosi said, uh, we don't, you know, at some point, the assumption is that it'll start funneling in through the Judiciary Committee in the House, and at some point, the assumption is that that committee will put forward uh, what would be the basis of articles of impeachment. So, like the really the specific uh, terms under which uh, Trump would be, you know, basically charged. Um, but 
it's it's still really not clear what that timeline would be because like could take months. We just we don't know or or who the people are going to be who are going to be most involved. Mm. Well, Matt, thank you so much for breaking this down with us this morning. Thank you. Wow. It's crazy. It just feels like it's ha- you know it happened so fast since we yeah. first found out about this phone call. After like it's, you know if you're someone on Twitter and mm-hmm. Twitter doesn't represent uh, you know the rest of the country or like it, yeah. everybody in in some ways, um, it's like it, it's been this like slow kind of burn of, you know, of also like once in a while impeachment will start trending yeah. in various kinds of hashtags on Twitter. And then it just feels like all of a sudden the we found out about the Trump-Ukraine mm-hmm. call and like it's all happening. I mean, it's happening so fast. We It's so funny. I think we saw some tweets earlier uh, today where people were saying, you know, all this time on Mueller and impeachment, all these podcasts, yeah, specials. Yeah. And Ukraine's been in the news for a few days. And we're like, oh, this is the thing. She's just arrived. Ukraine delivers, <laughs> y'all. She delivers. <laughs> but coming up, we'll be talking more about impeachment with Congressman Al Green. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Welcome back, y'all. I usually would say this is the hottest part of the show, but I don't know if I mean, I mean, seriously, <laughs> between impeachment and our second birthday, yes, it's, it's a lot really, going on. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's see what these tweets are giving, okay, y'all. Maybe, do it. maybe they'll be hotter. We'll see. We shall see. All right. So, Ken, you tweet it. In honor of Nancy Pelosi, I'm about to get going on some work stuff that I really should have done months ago. <laughs> That's all. Um, that was the reaction. Should, That's it. We, we should read that to Representative Al Green. <laughs> like, do you think Nancy Pelosi is turning her homework in late? I know. Today? It's like Al Green has been saying this for years, right? He's you know? like two years. Yeah. Al Green's like, he's like, I took college classes in high school, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm early. <laughs> Amber, you tweeted, teachers, the exam isn't that hard. The exam, you walk in the kitchen with no legs and your cousin is boiling Fruit Loops. She's a virgin with eight kids. How old is the neighbor's dog? <laughs> what is this called? It's called like symbi- symbolic mathematics or something? Logic, logic. or something? Logic. I know. It's a like, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I took a, the math class I took in college was called finite math because it was not infinite math. And I barely, barely passed that class. So I, this yeah. is not for me. Dumb. I, this is just not. I'm terrible at math. Yeah. I'm liberal arts. Like, leave me, you know. <laughs> I can write you a sentence. Please. I don't know how to add you. I have no skills, no skills for the zombie oh, apocalypse God. is what I always tell people. Well, so, there you know. we go. Well, let's take it to the timeline. What was the hardest class you've ever taken? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. You know, I took an archaeology class in college to not do science because I thought, oh, digging, digging bones will be easy, easier than chemistry. And I almost failed because archaeology is really hard. It is actually, yeah. It's it's more than just uh, like we did excavation. More than an excavation, yeah. But we did them. Those are also hard. You have to like measure, dig, all this bullshit. No, never again. And I also did not like my professor. Oh, I also took a class called Earthquake with an exclamation point, which was like a science (laughs) class created for liberal arts students, and barely passed that one. I don't really know that much about geology. Earthquakes. So, wow, I'm really just so, I'm having all kinds of feelings right now about my student loan debt and everything yeah. I got out of all of these So the classes. takeaway here, kids, is that you do not have to be great at everything to maybe have a job one day. <laughs> maybe. Buy, buy maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, our friend J.P. Brommer, you tweet it. I often think about the time a woman in my office said, good morning. And I said, good morning back. And then later, I saw a Twitter thread from her that was like, my mission today was to be kind to a coworker who always seems like he's in a bad mood. The way his face lit up. (laughs) This one is so good. That's like also passive aggressive because she had to know that he would see the tweet. Like, True. Also, it's a new, like JP works in media. So we we love Twitter. Actually, hadn't thought of that angle of this story. I was just like, oh, huh, funny. JP released the name at her. (laughs) 
At her. At her. We want to know. I bet we'll we do know this person. It's also very possible <laughs> that we do. We can just search for that text on Twitter and actually find someone. The please do tweet that. Bring and it let up. Us know. Get messy. And let us know. Today is messy Wednesday. Starting starting more Twitter beef. <laughs> All right, Jake, you tweeted. Why would I fight with an anti-vaxer when I can just wait? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean. Wow. Okay, T. I mean. That was ruthless. That one was ruthless. I was like. Psh, I know. Psh, it was. Turned and walked but away. Where's the lie? All right. Well, tweet of the day. Here we go. Right. Comes from Julianne. What is your best childhood memory? Me falling asleep on the couch and waking up in bed. I miss teleporting. It never happens to me anymore. So rude. Being an adult is hard. I do love a baby that like goes to bed at the house, wakes up on Target, and it's like, oh, girl, what the like, t- what I, is what? going on? How did I get here? And, but also that they just ride it out. They're like, oh, I'm good. Because they're like, I'm a baby. But also babies, the fact that they have like drivers, chefs, teleport, like the wealth that that is, like the power that is. I want to be a baby again. Let's reverse backwards. <laughs> you know, babies do have a nice life. They do. Like they dogs. do. Yeah. Dogs also have a nice life. So do cats. Why are we cats. envious of all these uh, things know, that have no agency? I know, I know. What a day, what a day. <laughs> well, up next, we're talking more impeachment with Congressman Al Green. Here's a tweet from Darren Sands. Representative Al Green feels like he's finally being vindicated as Democrats come around on impeachment some two and a half years after he first called for Trump's impeachment with patriotic bluster. Quote, to be true to myself, I could not stray from this cause. And here's a tweet from Reese the One. Maxine Waters led the call for impeachment well before anyone else did, by the way. Al Green introduced the bill in Congress. Black folks, just saying. We're now going live from the district with Congressman Al Green himself. Good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for having me on your second anniversary. Oh, thank you so much. Well, listen, we have some breaking news this morning. The transcript of President Trump's conversation with Ukraine's president has just been released. Have you had time to read it? What are your first impressions? Have not. I read the breaking news as I was rushing to get here. I had a floor speech to give, so I did miss it. If you have something that you can share, I'll be more than pleased <laughs> to respond to it. <laughs> well, we'll try to work some of that in. But first, what does the inquiry mean for other Trump investigations more broadly without these transcripts being out right now? Well, it just means that the various committees will continue to go forward with what they're doing. Uh, they will do so now, knowing that we've reached critical mass, because on yesterday, we had nearly 200 members to be on record favoring uh, moving forward with impeachment uh, by way of an inquiry. I think this is very significant. I think that we do have to get to 218 for the actual articles of impeachment. But I do believe that the committees moving forward uh, will make a difference knowing that we have critical mass. Mm. Now, I want to ask you a a kind of question connected to the transcript. Um, You know, it's interesting that the press has the transcript um, and it didn't get to you just yet this morning. Um, You know, is is that striking to you? What does that mean? Well, to get to me would have required quite a bit of effort. This is my uh, third interview this morning, and I've done a floor speech, so I I won't hold anybody responsible for my not having it. I do think that it is important that we peruse this document closely. I think that it can provide additional evidence. But I also know that because this concerns national security, concerns a president of the United States contacting another president to acquire some evidence, some proof that can be used uh, against a political foe, and at the same time withholding tax dollars, I think that that's pretty significant. And I don't think that we can allow it to go unchecked. 
And the only way we can check it is by way of impeachment. Article two, section four of the Constitution. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, you know, we were remarking earlier that uh, it seems like since uh, news about this Trump Ukraine call came out, everything has been moving really quickly. Um, do you think that Ukraine is the right avenue or was the right avenue uh, for this process to start? I think that it started when we initiated our statement on the floor. Um, that was quite concerning. Mr. Comey had been fired. The president had gone on national TV, primetime, confessed that it was the Russia thing that was being considered. And I think that we've been building. I think that yesterday for some was a straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, but for me, it was a moment of truth. It was a point of no return. I think that yesterday we decided that we were going forward with impeachment. It may not have been expressed in these explicit terms, but that's what has been decided. And I believe that the president will be impeached. I must also say this quickly. Yesterday occurred because of many people. These movements start from the bottom up, not the top down. And there were a good many organizations involved in this, uh, people who have been pressing the flesh and asking that we go forward, people that I've met in bus stations and train stations and airports. So I think that the people have to continue the movement. The movement is not one that Congress is going to carry on without the aid and the assistance of the people. So thank those of you who have been involved. Please stay involved. So, Representative, we are learning from this uh, memo and transcript that Zelensky actually brought up uh, Giuliani, Trump's personal lawyer, and asked to meet with him in bar. Uh, and Giuliani's been talking a lot about this, uh, hearing the transcripts this morning. Do you think, Giuliani, what do you think should be done with Giuliani and his involvement from what we know so far? And what other folks in Trump's orbit do you think should also be, uh, be held accountable for any of these relationships? Well, Mr. Giuliani has been the president's de facto minister plenipotentiary as it relates to this cause. Uh, the president seems to have empowered him per Mr. Giuliani's statement. Uh, he seems to have had the blessings of the State Department. So in a sense, he has been speaking for the government. Uh, I think that we have to hold the president accountable. I think Mr. Giuliani is providing the evidence that will assist us in holding the president accountable because he too has confessed that conversations were had about Mr. Biden, the vice president, uh, and that uh, these conversations were in an effort to get proof that something untoward had happened. Uh, and the, the speculation is, and the belief is, that this would be used in a campaign against uh, Mr. Biden. Uh, this is the president's rerun of what happened in the last election, and we cannot allow the president to continue to behave this way. We have to impeach him. You mentioned uh, the election and Biden, of course. Um, you know, now that we are in the 2020 election cycle, what is the strategy as a party going forward? I cannot speak for the party and give the party strategy. I can only give my belief and what I think must happen. I believe that we have a duty and a responsibility to maintain guardrails around the presidency. I believe that if we fail to do this, the balance of power will be lost, that Congress will become subservient to the executive branch of government, that we won't be co-equal. And if this happens, I think that our democracy is at risk. So this is not about Democrats, it's about the democracy that can be at risk and the republic that we must save. I believe that we must move forward with impeachment. And I also believe that as we do so, there are subcommittees that can do all of the other things that we desire to do. Uh, the full committee does not have to engage in this process. 
subcommittees can do their work as well. We can walk, chew gum, think, and talk at the same time and get all of this done. But we cannot avoid our Article 2, Section 4 responsibilities. So, Congressman, what does today look like for you and other congressional leaders now that this transcript is out and people are going to be talking about this pretty much all day? Well, to me, this day is very much akin to all of my days. I have uh, been very much dedicated to getting my congressional duties taken care of, which include uh, the impeachment effort. And I will continue with this. I'm going to make sure that I read the information that has been shared. I would like to see the complaint, but I also understand that if you have a complaint, you must have a complainant. And we need to hear from the complainant, the person. That person speaking can make a difference. But if we don't get the complainant and we don't get the complaint, we can still go forward because the president has incriminated himself in the political sense. And I say political sense because there is no requirement that we have a trial in the House of Representatives, no proof beyond a reasonable doubt, no clear and convincing evidence. This is political for us. And we have to address the politics of impeachment in a very much justified way, in a way that will show people that we are fair, but also will show people that we will not allow the president to run away with uh, our democracy and to put democracy at risk. Uh, as a matter of fact, put our nation at risk, given what he was doing with the, the president of Ukraine. Well, we want to share this tweet with you before you go. It's from Kyle Smith, who says, you got to love the idea that the last two years and eight months were what we'll all remember as the calm part of the Trump administration. Um, how are you expecting all of this to play out now with President Trump? As I indicated to many, this is uh, a day after the point of no return. Yesterday, we reached that point. I think that we will march forward to impeachment. We have over 200 members who favor the inquiry. I think that we'll get 218 members who will understand that we cannot lose the balance of power on our watch, that we have to put principle above politics, that we have to put people above our party, that we have a responsibility to the future to make sure that in the present, we maintain the balance of power and keep presidents, not just this one, but all presidents in check. Congressman, speaking of keeping people in check, before you go, we must ask, since you have been on the show before and you have been fighting for impeachment for over two years now, do you feel particularly vindicated today? Uh, I do feel vindicated. I, I have to be truthful. Uh, but I think that many others are vindicated because it has been an effort of the many, not the few. And uh, I think we should feel vindicated because it was lonely. Uh, we were in the wilderness. Uh, I remember when I made that statement on the floor of the house, I received death threats thereafter. We had to hire someone who sits in my office with a gun. When you walk in, the first thing you see is a person with a gun in uniform. We have to protect the public when the public's around me. We have to protect the staff when the staff is near me. Uh, we have had to change our lives, but it's been worth it because it's in the cause of justice that we do this. It's for reasons that unborn children will appreciate. The future is at stake, and we are the holders of the future. We must act, and we must impeach. Congressman Al Green, thank you so much for joining us today during such a busy time for you and so many in America. Thank you. You know, I have to say, I feel like I would be so petty. I would be like, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> We're all same. I really would have. I remember when we had him on the show earlier, people were tweeting at us, like, this is never going to happen. Why are you talking to him? And yeah, look yeah. At, look at this. Yeah, look Two at this. Two years later. There yeah. we go. Well, later on in the show, we have a special Hella on am to dm But up next, I'm talking with WWE superstar Sonya Deville. Mark to Death tweeted, Sonya Deville is probably one of the most underrated performers in all of wrestling. I think she is just so great. And Amanda Sting tweeted, Sonya Deville is both an underrated gem and ridiculously babely. Here with me now is Daria Baronado, better known as WWE superstar Sonya Deville, who's one of the new stars of Total Divas on E! Welcome! What an intro with those, like... <laughs> Positive tweets. Look, you got, me, the, you, got the, you got the fans out there. <laughs> but listen, I want to know, before we talk about Total Divas, um, talk to me a little bit about your personas. Like, what is the difference when you're just being you and then when you're, you know, Sonia in the ring? Yeah, so uh, Sonia and Daria have a lot of similarities, but they also have their differences. Um, Daria is a giant goofball. Sonia's not really that goofy. I'm pretty intense. And I, <laughs> I like to get down to business. But, but Daria also is very competitive and very intense and passionate about everything she does. So that's kind of where they, they mesh. So, Got it. Yeah. So what drew you to the sport of wrestling? Uh, okay, so I started training martial arts when I was a junior in high school. I was like, Mom, I uh, need a different outlet. Should I learn how to play a musical instrument or should I fight MMA? And she was like, oh, you should learn how to play a musical instrument. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to fight MMA. And she's like, of course you are. And so I started training MMA. I moved out to California on my own to kind of pursue that and do my own thing. And, you know, I was hustling, bartending, doing all that. And then um, my mentor, Maria Menounos, mm-hmm. um, who I hosted for on AfterBuzz TV, was like, you should try WWE. You love acting. You love competing. It's like the two worlds you love combined. And so I got a tryout, and the rest is kind of history. Yeah, well, part of that history, one of the reasons it's been so cool to watch your career is that um, you are the first uh, openly lesbian uh, wrestler, right? And you came out on Tough Enough. And tell me how, you know, how were you received? Um, how, how has that been? Yeah, um, it was four years ago. I was on a reality show. I'd never been in that kind of light. And I was nervous, and I was in the preliminary kind of tryout episode of the show, and Triple H, one of the executives of WWE, his first question to me was, are you in a relationship? Which for any other contestant, that's like such right. an easy question. It's yes or no. But for me, being gay and having a girlfriend, but not have ever said those words at that, at that time, I was like, uh, uh, and then I gave like a really awkward answer of like, um, yeah, I have a girlfriend, but she's not my wife yet. And I got really nervous and started rambling. And he was like, you just came out on national television. Was, yeah. Did you know that? I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I did. Um, got to call some people. But, you know, breaking news. Yeah, um, yeah. And here I am four years later being able to be comfortable with it. And not only that, but advocate and hopefully be a voice for those that don't have one right now. Yeah. I mean, people might not think of this space as the most LGBTQ inclusive space. How have you found it to be insofar as your interactions with the fans? Um, With the world in general, we're growing as a world. And it's the same with the sports entertainment community. And I've gotten nothing but love and praise from the locker room, the executives, the producers, the writers, everyone has been amazing to me. And so my experience has been fortunate. Mm-hmm. How are you hoping that um, like LGBTQ inclusion grows in terms of the sport? I mean, I would love to see representation, whether it be in storylines or just 
me being gay and being a wrestler. You know, I don't want it to define who I am, but I definitely want to represent. And that's why I, you know, I wear the pride flag in my back pocket when I wrestle. And it's just little things like that, letting the community know, like, I got your back. Like, I'm, I'm here to represent you. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to talk about Total Divas. So you are one of the new cast members along with Ronda Rousey. Um, what are you hoping uh, people learn about you from watching this show? Um, Total Divas has been a whirlwind. It's been so much fun to film. Um, I I wanted to do it because I wanted to show my fans a different side of me. Um, yeah, I'm a badass in the ring and I like to kick some butt, but I also have a softer side. And, you know, I have a lot of things that I value, like my relationship with my girlfriend that I get to share on the show, which is super unique and cool. And, um, you know, my relationship with the other girls in the locker room, my Relationship with Ronda Rousey, which <laughs> gets a little saucy. Does, so, does it? You know, does it? You're gonna have to tune in for that. All right, but no, it, it's a super fun experience. It's been yeah. it's been so much fun um, getting to kind of share my story. And there's ups and there's downs, like anything in life. And you guys are gonna get to see all of that. Yeah. So you're kind of also following in the footsteps a little bit of John Cena and The Rock, right? Because you are pursuing acting. Um, you were a host before. You mentioned that. Um, what made you want to go in that route? Yeah, I mean, I've loved acting since I was young, young. I mean, I start, started in acting classes maybe at like 12 or 13 in New Jersey. And so it's something that I've always been super passionate about. Like some people's outlet when they were teenagers was music. Mine was TV and film. Like if I was having a bad day or needed to escape the world, I just engulfed myself in like a new TV series. So it's always been something I've connected to. Um, I produced my independent film of my own when I was 19. And so I've dabbled, but I'm not you know, head first deep into it mm -hmm. yet. And that's my goal right now. So I've kind of just been expanding my brand and taking acting classes in LA. And so um, that's definitely the next step for me. All right, well, we will certainly stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining Thanks me. Thanks for having me. Total Divas premieres Wednesday, October 2nd on E! I'm gonna go try and learn some moves offset so I can continue to fight the patriarchy. Up next, we're revealing our Woman Crush Wednesday. It is Wednesday, so you know what that means. It's Woman Crush Wednesday, and this week, our pick is actor Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yay, my favorite. And here with me now to discuss Phoebe is our own David Mack. Hi. Hi, the last Hi. time you were here, you should were giving I... me a, um, an accent, I think. Oh yeah, I was going to think, oh, should I do a British accent for this segment <laughs> and talk like Phoebe? No, but should I at least strike that pose or yes, something? Yes, exactly. like, like, cigarette. I mean, how could you not She's pick her this week with that? Photo well, let's talk time. about your love of Phoebe, because I know you're yes. a bigger fan than I am, yes. I think, and I'm a big fan, but when was the first time you were introduced to her? I think with Killing Eve. I remember coming on a year or so ago, over a year ago on this show, and talking with Allison mm -hmm. about Killing Eve, and just what a spectacular show that was, when I'd seen the first few episodes mm -hmm. on a press tape, and uh, I was raving about it, I was hooked, and it just really felt so fresh and original, and I uh, was thinking, who, who is this from? And yeah. of course, then going back and discovering that I'd missed out on this whole fleabag phenomenon mm -hmm. when it had come on um, Amazon, the BBC, and just completely hooked. Uh, mm. and, and then, of course, this year we got the season two. Yeah, and then the final season two. Yes. But before we jump into that, I want to get your thoughts on that. Sure. When you saw her in, you know, Killing Eve, did you think, oh, that's going to be a huge star? Because I saw her, I was like, she's funny. Well, she wrote, remember, she wrote, wrote Killing Eve. Yes. Right, right, right. But, um, like, you could tell from the writing, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right, that you could tell that this is just, the, the way it snaps, right? And the way that it is just, like, so original and fresh. But also, the way that it really puts women, and she has this, um, um, 
you know, natural flair, obviously, for just centering stories around women. And I think it just, it shows because look at the success she's had. She's, I mean, she's, and she's blowing up because she won three Emmys on Sunday. Yes. Did you see that coming? Yes. I, that was an insanely tough category, that uh, comedy category for uh, best actress. <laughs> yeah. She was up against uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, she was up against, uh, um, God, the cat Natasha Leone from mm-hmm. Russian Doll. Just insanely tough. And yeah. uh, was that the tweet that people, or was that the category people thought gay Twitter was going? Yes, to that's the one. Okay. So like Moira Rose from Shit's Creek. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, of course, right? We're going to like this was a civil war, but I kind of was picking her for this because I just mm. felt that she had had this such huge year mm-hmm. that you would just think it's impossible that she can't win. Yeah, yeah. Because people, I mean, the cult following of Fleabag is massive. Yes, massive. and it's also one of the few films I've seen that have closed, and people were like, "That was great. Like yeah. we're done with that." And that was a really good show. But what were some of your favorite moments throughout the two, the short two mm-hmm. seasons that happened? I think so. It's this comedy, right? But I think we see so many comedies that try and do drama and then drift too far into mm-hmm. the drama and they lose all humor. This had the ability to make you cry and make you immediately laugh within in the same space as well throughout the entire run of the series. Uh, in season two, you do, no spoilers, but you, they do go into the kind of um, mechanics of how she addresses the camera constantly. Mm-hmm. And that becomes actually a plot point in the show. And that was so surprising and so moving. And I rewatched it because I had a long trip back from Australia the other day. And I got to rewatch all of season two on the plane. And that just again, that's the way that they address that in mm-hmm. the show. And it becomes a really surprisingly moving element of the mm. story. And I just thought that was so brilliant. Mm. And of course, the hot priest. As I well. was going to bring that up. Yeah. So, who do you, you know? We've had Ben Eldridge on, who was her boyfriend from the first season of yes. The Guy She's Sleeping with, our Sky. Yeah, more of a sex the, the buddy. Sex, yeah, 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 sex yeah. buddy. Uh, but she was with the priest a yes. bit. Who were you rooting more for? Who did you want her to be with? Well, see, that, that storyline, I remember Shannon Keating wrote about like how what a great storyline this was for her because it was something, it represented redemption and it represented, you know, love, but also, and that's the first line of season two, this mm-hmm. is a love story. But, and you obviously want them to be together, but knowing that this relationship is doomed from the start, but really, of course, it's not about them, mm-hmm. it's about her and about her growth and her journey. And the ending is just so beautiful. It's, beautiful it's so beautiful. Well, speaking of her journey, it was reported yesterday that she's signing a $20 million deal with Amazon yes. Studios. What will that deal involve? Are we going to see versions of Fleabag or just whole new projects? You would think, so for, yeah, $20 million a year. a year. I think it's like three years, $20 million. Oh, Can you imagine rich. the pressure that you would feel? <laughs> Not only after winning a bunch of Emmys, but then you're getting paid like $60 million. <laughs> to replicate that success that yeah. you've had. So, okay, pressure's on, Phoebe, but uh, I would think you're going to see her try and do something different, right? Okay. We know for a fact that Fleabag is not coming back. She said that the other night after her Emmys win, that the story is done. And I like that British tradition, mm-hmm. I have to say, of like self-containing shows mm-hmm. that are really good and run for 12 episodes, and that's all you're ever going to get of it. No. That's it. It's masterpiece. Let it live yes. and let it die. Americans should learn from Americans that. Americans like, should learn to let things go sometimes. <laughs> go. But I, I think you would imagine that she's going to try and do some more diverse things and do things that are a little different mm-hmm. um, and surprise people. We know for a fact that she's uh, helping out on the James Bond film, the last James Amazing. Bond film with Daniel Craig. She's, gonna, she's rewriting the script to kind of make the uh, Bond women in that a little less... Two-dimensional, perhaps? Oh, not just yeah. objects? Yes, not just objects for oh, once. That's, oh, nice. that's, 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 that's an idea. I know, right? So I'm very excited for James Bond, okay. which is something I didn't think I'd be saying I'll this year. That. So beyond James Bond, what are you excited to see her do as mm-hmm. an actor next? I want her to come back, because of course, like we, we didn't get to see her in Killing Eve, mm-hmm. and but she was behind the camera yeah. there. Um, I, I just think I, anything 
with her in front of the camera, I'm dying for. She could play a, I don't know, a mop and I would watch. You were going to say some inanimate <laughs> object. <laughs> I was like, wait, in my head, I was like, where's Save It going with this inanimate object? A mop. Phoebe Waller-Bridge for Batman. There you go. Sorry, Robert Pattinson. That'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. screw Robert. <laughs> Phoebe. Well, David, thank you so much thank for being you. here. And let's take it to the timeline. What role would you like to see Phoebe in next? Let us know using the hashtag AMTDM. Up next, Sylvia has hella opinions about culture con. I'm gonna do my cigarette goodbye. <laughs> Welcome to another installment of Hella on AM to DM. This week we are unpacking the phenomenon that is CultureCon, the budding conference that Forbes says every creator should attend in 2019. Here to talk about this with me are two of the forces behind the Creative Collective NYC, founder Imani Ellis, and community outreach lead Michael Aloide. What's up? Hey, let's cheer to a good episode. Yes. So, we want to get, oh, careful. (laughs) No drip drip. (laughs) Okay, so let's get into this and unpack it because I'm excited. (laughs) Okay, so let's start by talking about the Creative Collective New York. What, can you talk about its inception and how its mission has evolved? For sure. I just wanted to create this space where creatives and young professionals could be themselves. So I invited some of my closest friends, Michael being one of them, over to my apartment, made tacos, and we all just talked about how can we collaborate, how can we build something bigger than ourselves, and that's the rest is history. Amazing. And when, how did you guys go from like having, because I remember, I remember seeing on Instagram the day you guys were all at the apartment. I'm like, dang, I might have got a lot of people over. <laughs> and like seeing it evolve from meetings to different, taking up different spaces. And then CultureCon was born about two years ago. How did the idea to take that and make this your flagship event come about? Uh, it really happened organically, to mm-hmm. be completely honest. Yeah. I remember being in the apartment and there was like 40 people there and a frame broke. And not because any, we were rowdy, it's just the, <laughs> of space, <course> not. <laughs> the space couldn't contain us. And uh, I, I think Imani and I looked at each other like, uh, this can't happen here anymore. And a friend of ours had a place that he managed in, in Soho and was like, you guys could use our space. So we moved from there to there. And then that space wasn't able to contain us the way we wanted to. So I think it just happened organically. To we get began, bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so with CultureCon, the idea to make this conference. A, can you talk, explain what CultureCon is for those who don't know, get hip. <laughs> but also can you, yeah, so explain what it is and how you were like, I want to do this. Because to me what's fascinating about CultureCon is like, it's not just one thing. And so it's like so many ideas and it's like, kind of containing something that, a creativity energy that seems hard to make into a thing. Well, see, that's really exactly it, is we wanted to create something that we didn't see. And it's like a lot of times, people are really only wanting you to be like one version of yourself. Like come and network, or come and be a human, don't do both. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, what if we created a conference that was for us, really by us? And so we looked at every part of who we are, the part that likes to network, the part that wants to build a business, the part that wants to build a life, or maybe you aren't an entrepreneur. Maybe you just wanna like do your, live your best life in your nine to five. And so CultureCon is literally all of those things, um, plus a happy hour, so why not? Why not? Why not? And I'd love to see the growth but even from the beginning year one you guys had Spike Lee as your head talker last year you guys had John Legend and Nick Cannon on stage talking and having conversations with a bunch of like 
thousands of creatives. This year, just when we're like, oh, how you gonna talk? John, you got legend. <laughs> you guys are like, here we gonna bring Sanaa Lathan, Regina King, Tracy Ellis Ross. These are people who like even big major media companies have a hard time booking. Like, how did you guys get our icons to like invest in the next generation of creatives? Mm. Man, I mean, Eric Jones is our fearless talent leader. <laughs> oh, everyone. Yes, so fearless is it. <laughs> He's incredible. And then we have really awesome brand partners who also bring talent with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, behind the Creative Collective, behind CultureCon is a team of incredible talent. And I think, you know, of course, CultureCon is a day conference, but we're meeting weekly for yeah. like the year um, for this big moment. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned this because you mentioned Eric and you know, he's a, a booker and all these different people who bring these different facets to it which kind of creates this Megatron. It's like, I imagine like the Power Rangers and you guys come together and build like the big one. But how do you guys, what, so what did this teach you about the power of collaboration? Because it seems to me when I'm asking like, how is this happening and how is this happening? You guys are like, it's us, right? So it's kind of like the power of us individually. And if we come together, we can do things bigger than a lot of the companies we always wanted to be a part of. I think that's what CultureCon is. And, and what we do is we practice what we preach. It's about coming together with your friends to build something that is bigger than you. Yeah. And using your talents, your strengths, your network to like make something happen. Yeah, so I think CultureCon is just a reflection of what we do in these rooms on a weekly basis. Yeah. yeah. But as far as like the power of collaboration, because yeah. Imani, I feel like you have always been that friend in the friend group. Like, sure. we all know each other on a personal level. You're always the girl who's like, hey, I would like you to come together with this person and this yeah. person. Yeah. Let's make this a thing. Yeah. Where did you, like, what made, like, when did you start to understand the power of collaboration? And also just us as, let's be, let's put it out there, black creatives, black young professionals, like, being able to combat the things we face every day. Yeah, I mean, it really was such an aha moment because I, you know, you're always thinking someone else can help, someone else can do it. And then you look around the room and it's like, wait a minute, we could do this and we could do it in a really great way. And so uh, there's something powerful that happens when you realize that the talent that you're looking for is sitting right next to you. Right. Mm. Literally. A gem. Literally. Quote <laughs> <laughs> it, you're going to see it on the CCNYC Instagram. Um, but, you know, you mentioned earlier powerful partners. Like, you guys have had, you have partnerships with HBO, Facebook, Lyft, Google, and that's just a few of the names you've been able to bring in. How do you get these companies that in their own way struggle with diversity to bet on black like this. Man, we have really awesome partners. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's our honor and privilege to work with them also. I mean, For sure. these are brands and companies that like we in our everyday life are consuming their content naturally. And so to collaborate with them and see that they're really interested in investing in our community in a really big way, um, I think it means a lot to us, right? Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's great. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But I think sometimes it's like when people are like, I'm thinking about the creatives who may be watching at home and like in the West Coast, down South, colleges, HBCUs who are like, I want to create something like this for our community, but are afraid to reach out to these companies because they think they may not be interested. I think something cool that you guys show is that there is a place for us in these big corporations. Yeah. For sure. I think right now in the climate that we're in, um, corporations are realizing that we have a lot of power as right. well and we have a lot of things to say and things to contribute so they want to be a part of that conversation as well yeah yeah and i think um 
another thing that's so interesting about our generation as millennials and the Gen Zs who are coming up and making us feel old right. um, so, is that, that we went, we kind of did a professional identity shift from our parents, right? Where it was like they were working, for them it was about working for the companies mm-hmm. like and being there all your life and be, like being those brands. And for us, it's kind of like we've become the brands ourselves. Right. Gone from like looking for ideal salaries to looking for ideal rates. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Okay, ideal bet. Okay. Oh, Oh, so I'm just saying what you guys are doing. Like this is what's happening. You know, what I mean, I think it's a very empowering thing that we're all doing. We're looking like the economy shifts here and there, and like how can we keep us afloat instead of depending on somebody else to? But you know, like I think it comes. The hard part is is like how to monetize creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, like just the battle of like, okay, here's the creative idea I have. How do I turn it into a business? You know, right. do you guys have any thoughts on like this part of how we operate? Because I do feel like the CCMYC is like a case study of that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to start with really an authentic voice. Like, really start with who you are, and it will come. And I also think, you know, you have to start small. Like, of course, you know, we do have the Sinai Lathans and the Tracy Ellis Ross and Regina Kings, but it started in a living room, and that's not just, like, a sob story. It really did. And so I would just say be consistent um, and know your worth. Yeah, and be and work hard. Work hard. Because I think a lot of people just see the glamorous part on social media, but y'all are working. You guys are late night. Like, you guys are not bragging on yourselves well. Like, you guys work late nights. You guys are, like, spending tons of hours on top of what you do uh, full time. Like, this is not a big deal. I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah, and yeah. everyone who's working on the team has, you a know, full-blown a career. full blown career. Yeah. So yeah. This is what they're doing in their spare time. But it's passion. It's a passion project. Passion, yeah. yeah. So, my final question is what, just because I know sometimes it's hard to talk about things big picture, what are you each looking forward to the most at this year's Culture Con? Whether it's like an activation or a talk or a panel, like, give them a taste. For me, I think f- something that I'm always looking forward with all of our events with the Creative Collective is that moment at the end when I see like people meeting for the first time yeah. and leaving connected. Um, from day one, that's always been a thing. People leaving inspired and with a new friend or a contact and things being born out of that. Yeah. I'm excited about that and I'm excited about Tracy Ellis Ross. I mean, who is it? Right. <laughs> And Regina King. I mean, see, then it gets hard to pick a fave because y'all really got all of our favorite aunties up in there. It's crazy. You know? Kiki Palmer, who's moderating. Oh, my God. Sorry Palmer. to this sorry, man. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> I cannot. Just, if you guys can get her to impersonate that somehow, that'd be hilarious. She but has, she has to. I love, I love her. her. What do you, how about you, Amani? Similar, like the energy. I think I'm looking forward to the opposite when people first come in and they see everything and it's like a family reunion. Like that's how it should feel. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, I have to say, I'm very proud of you guys. Like I said, my sister, my 21-year-old sister was randomly saying to me how it's a goal for her to get into CultureCon next year. And I'm like, what? You mean what? Like, and she doesn't even live in New York. So, like, to me, it's really translating that you guys have gotten Gen Z's attention. And that's something that everybody is trying to do. So kudos to you guys both. But we're not done yet. It's time for my last word. Today, I'm borrowing bars from one, a one Sean Corey Carter because the CCNYC quotes this often as well. And I think it's an important thing never to forget. 
We are the culture. Nothing moves without us. Mainstream takes it, but we make that shit. And I think that you guys have shown us that and continue to propel that and by using the power of us. So I really want to say again, I'm so excited for CultureCon. I can't wait for people to experience it. I know every year is just going to get bigger than the next. So thank you, Imani and Michael, for joining me today to talk about this. CultureCon is October 12th in New York City, Brooklyn to be exact. For tickets, visit the ccnyc.com. More AM to DM is up next. Welcome back. I just have to say, what a day this to have stayed day. out way too late at the yeah, Lizzo concert you, last you're night. You were at Lizzo, you didn't know. This morning. You're going to need all this energy. <laughs> I mean, she called impeachment beachment, and I was like, that's actually just what I want to call it. But Lizzo is a prophet, so, so you should have just listened to her. It I, was coming. I always listen like to Lizzo. I always do. Well, you did great. I can't tell that you barely slept. So you look wonderful. All right, thank you for being so I'm being so very nice genuine. I know you are. <laughs> All right, well, Stevie Martinez tweeted this following our conversation about impeachment. Impeachment flavored tea is my favorite. Yes, from Lipton. Favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wanted to know what was the hardest class you've ever taken. Lovis Diamond says statistics, hands down. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't mess with that kind of math. Yeah. Ugh. Not me. No. Not me. Goodbye. Blasian FMA added... Oh, chem, or is that organic chemistry? It made me quit pre-med. I just remember looking down at all those polymers and chains and being like, I wouldn't know that combination of elements if I saw it walking down the street. Sorry to this periodic table. (laughs) I can't even, I was in AP chemistry and none of it's been retained. Yeah, I mean, it's... Terrible, terrible. It's gone. It's It's all gone. Well, before we go, some very special people are here who wanted to wish us a happy birthday. Look at this. Happy birthday, AM to DM. Hello from Columbus, the Midwest. Oh, so sweet. It looks good. Okay, girl. (laughs) Midwest sun looks good on you or Midwest trade, whichever got it that way. (laughs) Well, of course, we couldn't forget about Isaac as well. Hey, what's going on, AM to DM? Happy birthday. Two years, pretty incredible. That's pretty awesome. Shout out to the entire team. Y'all should be so proud of the work that you're doing. I miss y'all so much, and happy birthday. Where is he skateboarding? I mean, this is so amazing, such impressive multitasking. It is so Isaac. Skateboarding, wind blowing through his hair, holding up the phone. His skin also look good. Yeah. Time to get your skin together. (laughs) Note, girls. Well, so lovely getting a nice happy birthday from those two. And we miss them very much. I hope they're doing well. Yeah. Well, thank you to our guests today, Matt Berman, David Mack, Monty Ellis, Michael Aloyede, Representative Al Green, and Daria Baranato. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. I'm going to get the rest.